So this is the Real Life Fables podcast with Nicole and Omar. And tonight our guest is Sharon Scott, my good friend and super awesome fellow human being and member of the kink community, which is what tonight's episode is going to be about. The audience can't see your house, but we basically pulled into a fancy gated community, the type of place that I would usually pull into and think everyone here is just vapid and bland yeah. and stuck up That's and would probably me. be very judgmental of my lifestyle. You have come to the right place <laughs> on the golf course. No, to know that someone who is a member of the kink community know, lives here. Doesn't it make you think? It just paints a perfect picture of how you you know you can't you, you just don't you, you even can't. know don't look in my garage <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just never know what's going on in people's lives people look a certain way and you you judge them by how they look and then next thing you find out they're like in the leather you want to know how i deal with the neighbors okay what yeah so if they get a little overly inquiring you know, I'll wait for them to ask kind of like the second or the third time. And finally, I'll be like, so, Carl, how much do you want to know? <laughs> and that's kind of their warning that, you know, if they really want to know, because I, I don't hide much. So, yeah. but I do give them agency on how much they want to know. So what do you, what do you mean in quite like, what's the specific example? Well, like of- when I moved in, I had um, probably 20 people from the kink community throughout the day helping me move in, not just moving in my furniture, but actually unpacking me. And oh, it was God. kind of an amazing, <laughs> like, it's a wonderful life experience for me as like all of these amazing friends came yeah. and helped me out. And of course the neighbor, um, who was, you know, <laughs> oh waiting, God. waiting on bated breath for the house to finally sell, you know, came up and was like, Oh my goodness, all these people that are helping you, like, you know, are, what, what, are you, are you a teacher? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not. But you know, I know a lot of military friends that yeah. we had a lot of, a lot of military people. Mm-hmm. And then like, I saw him again a few days later and he's like, you know, all those young military people, like, you know, do you work with the military? <laughs> Come on. No, I don't. <laughs> we're all just, we're just part of a social group. And, you know, and then I, and so I, I just was ready by that time. I was like ready. Like if he asked a third time, yeah. that's when he gets the question. So what kind of stuff did you bring into, did you bring anything uh, like benches and like... When I moved in? Chains and stuff. Like, I don't know. Was there anything suspicious? Toilets. To <laughs> T- toilets? I didn't know. Okay, wow. so like, I don't even know what that means. So like when, when we were at the Cock Project at Pleasures and Treasures, which oh. is an adult nov- novelty yes. store, aka a sex store, there. I like walk out the door and I turn to the right and there's a... a toilet seat and I thought oh <laughs> yep some people are definitely into uh, the one with the opening to poo play yeah I didn't bring a toilet with me <laughs> I did bring uh, a St. Andrew's cross and oh, a, and a spanking bench a St. Andrew's cross is like a big X and it's kind of tilted 
mm-hmm. and it can go up against a wall or in a corner and you can, mm-hmm. it has, um, rings to attach to cuffs and things mm-hmm. so that you can restrain someone against it and then do some sort of play, you know, often yeah. some sort of pain play or sensation play. Yeah. So that's in my garage and I have a spanking bench as well. So okay. yeah, I can pull those out whenever okay. I'm having friends <laughs> over or, you know. Oh so, God. so when, uh, so Omar, the real reason I brought you here. <laughs> I know. I, I feel vulnerable right now. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, so, be like super easy uh, to take so this neighbor, Carl, did you end up telling him? No, he hasn't. Yeah, he just hasn't. Okay, <laughs> I okay. wonder if he, he haven't just... gotten to question three. <laughs> no, he never. Okay. He okay. never asked again. Okay, I'm sure he peeks through the gate, though. You know, because <laughs> maybe maybe we don't wear our clothes all the time. That might mm. happen. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so to start off, how would you explain kink to someone who is unfamiliar with it? Yeah, that is, that's a really challenging and broad question, honestly. Um, in, in the broadest sense, from what I understand, you know, kink is anything that sort of sits outside of what we consider to be mainstream sexual practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anything that isn't sort of our, let's say our more religiously religious background, um, traditional sexual encounters, uh, monogamous and married and all those things. I, I, you know, as far as I can tell, you know, that would be considered sort of more of the mainstream. So it's anything that kind of sits outside of, of just that sort of uh, traditional way of engaging in the bedroom. Mm. And of course it's much broader than that when you actually get into the kink community itself. But, but that would be the broadest definition I would say. So what does kink mean to you on like a personal level? Like how does it, intertwine with your life? Oh my gosh. Um, well, how it entwines with my life now is it's actually quite a large part of my life. Uh, I probably don't hang out with anybody on any regular basis at this point who isn't, um, either kinky or, um, polyamorous, at least for, as far as, um, the people that I spend energy on, uh, because I feel, more at home, uh, just in the fact that I can be fully myself and I'm, I'm I'm not just, I'm not just accepted for who I am, but I'm celebrated Mm -hmm. for my proclivities and for my, um, both my relationship style and my, you know, my cat, my, what am I looking for? Um, my socializing, the way I socialize and the way that I interact with people. Mm -hmm. But as far as what kink means to me personally, I think, I think, when I finally discovered that there was such a thing as a kink community that I felt like I'd finally found a place where I didn't have to feel, um, shame and guilt over the kinds of fantasies that I had even as a child. Um, and I didn't have to feel shame about the things that had happened to me as a child and that may or may not have had an influence on those fantasies and, you know, things that turned me on or things that I wanted to do in the bedroom that I, you know, I had trouble talking about. Yeah. That's a really uh, deep and sensitive subject. I, cause I, you know, (laughs) I think about some of the things that I, um, yeah, fantasize about it's kind of some some of them are kind of scary and like definitely outside the box. So I um I I find it very uh, um I don't know. It's kind of a weird way to say, it. but no, I mean I, you inspired me. I guess you. I find it brave of you to to actually like 
because there is a, a, an element of risk by exposing yourself. And that's actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. It's like, how do you balance your quote unquote, you know, mainstream life, if, if that's a thing? With you know the you know your lifestyle, which may be now mainstream to you, right? Maybe before you answer that, you could paint a picture for the audience as to what your day to day life is, job and okay. Because yeah. I mean, I, I want people to know that a lot of people think people in the kink community are weird, but this, these are your your teachers, your librarians, your uh, people working at the bank. Like it's your everyday mm-hmm. people who. You come across. It's very true. Um, my everyday life is a mom and a wife and a writer and, you know, I own property and I have leasers and, you know, I still have to fix my garage door when it's broken and, <laughs> and I live on a golf course, you know, so. Is it broken because you were hanging someone by it? <laughs> I will never tell. <laughs> um, I also want to say um, that when we talked about fantasies and you talked about, you know, this kind of fantasies, Omar, that you might've had, um, as a young person too, that not every fantasy that we think about is something that we want to participate in, you know, and it's an important distinction because as a person who is just learning about themselves and their own kinks, you can often feel, you know, like really shitty and really, um, really, uh, offended at yourself for the things that arouse you but the uh, the things that arouse you are not always the things that you want to participate in 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 the kink community so they are they are separate and it but only you can kind of like as you go into yourself and you start Mm -hmm. to ask the whys uh of what you're interested in like only you will be able to determine you know what's what's only fantasy and what's things you might want to actually try exactly um let's see so there was you wanted me to talk to you about my background and then you wanted to know we could take it whichever direction. We want. Well, it's a very informal discussion. Yeah, I just wanted the audience to understand that you're the typical, normal, everyday human being that one would come across. And I am, I, I am in that, you know, my kids are adult adults at this point, so I'm not really doing like the soccer mom thing and all that at this point. But I was for a while, and the tr- and that's that's what we were going to talk about. So the I, truth yeah. is, the truth is, we did keep it secret when we first entered the community. Uh, we were, how long ago? Uh, let's see. Um, I would say three to three and a half years ago at this point when I, I first had, like, like I first encountered a friend of a friend who was kinky. He was a well-known, a well-known person in the community who was great at flogging. I was curious about what that meant and what that felt like. And he gave me my first experience as mm-hmm. a bottom. So some of the terms you might, um, encounter in the kink community are top and bottom, you know, when you go to engage with someone in a scene or in a moment, um, there's the person who is delivering the experience and there's a person who's receiving generally the experience. So the person delivering the experience would be the top, sometimes a dominant, but that really means something altogether different. And then the person receiving the experience would be the bottom. So mm-hmm. this gentleman had given me um, a great first experience with a flogger and um, it really felt like a massage. And But there also was something very arousing about... Uh, well, the fact that he was hitting me, right? Just there's some taboo to that. This sort of idea that I was almost subjugating to him too. There was a bit of this, you know, what I wasn't really surrendering my power to him, which is more what power exchange and dominance and submission is about. But there was, we were certainly tapping at the edge of that, uh, that sort of mental play. Mm. And then later when we started to engage, um, 
with more depth with the same guy. And he started to, and I started to actually give some of my authority to him where it was instead of just the physical play, like the flogger, but we started to play with more of the mental and emotional play. What I realized what was happening for me was that I was surrendering control to him, kind of like uh, the person that you mentioned to me earlier, Nicole. And in my surrendering of control to him, he was, he was telling me, commanding me, you know, quote unquote, forcing me to do things that I already wanted to do, but was too ashamed to ask to do. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, it was. And, and even by the end of the very first experience that I ever had with him, you know, in, in, at that time, um, we were, we were also engaged, we were, we had negotiated some sexual touch and stuff as well. And he, part of the rules for that, that experience with him were that, that I couldn't orgasm without asking his permission. And at that time, orgasm was not, uh, not an easy thing for, for me to achieve. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. Mm. And, but, but I'll tell you by the end of that scene, which was quite, quite a few hours, it was like a whole evening. Um, I, I thought about asking once and then I asked once and he told me no. (laughs) Mm. So I went home like marveling at the idea that, that we could be playing in this mental space and that my body was responding and it gave me, it was like, I was encouraged by that because I realized how much of my head was in my body, you know, or, or how much my head was stopping my body from responding. And that, that's when I realized that the work was all mine to be, to be, to be done, you know, that regardless of my background of sexual abuse and incest, you know, that, that I was the only p- person stopping me from the healing and from the growth. That's so cool. So, um, but how do, going back to Omar's original question, how do people participate without fear of being exposed publicly or how do they make themselves vulnerable in a situation where secret can leak? Yes. Um, so when my husband and I uh, first started to get into the community, we did decide to go outside of our local community. So we lived, excuse me, he lived in one area, uh, but we traveled probably an hour south instead and started to engage in a community there. So that way, you know, when we went to attend events, it's not that we, it was not that it was impossible that we pass somebody that we knew, but it was certainly less probable that we would. And we were working in certain industries that, um, that should, uh, should those things come out, it would have been challenging for us at the time. You're talking about the video game industry, right? Yes. We were working with, um, some licensed, uh, Mm. game producers that where that would have been, that would have been an issue for them. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, we're not working with those kinds of licensors anymore and we're just, you know, we're just really, how do I say it? Like we've just grown so much in this community. We're so grateful and humbled and uh, we, feel, we feel like we've ha- been through such a huge evolution that we just we can't help ourselves but talk about it and be proud of it but as far as I want to get back to, to being anonymous or, or being as private as you can with the, with the community you can come out to events um, it's, it's generally understood and generally taught in the community that 
you know, even when we have public gatherings at mm-hmm. restaurants and such like that, will be munchins and other events mm-hmm. that, you know, people will often ask because there'll be a rather large gathering, you know, sometimes as much as 6,500 people wow. at certain events. Yeah. And, you know, people will ask, you know, well, what's this about? You know, what's this group? And, you know, we'll, and we'll often just say it's a meetup group. Okay. So it's sort of understood that you don't, you certainly don't out the people you around you. You don't advertise it loudly. You don't. And when you go to, and, and if you were to see people that you saw at a kink event um, out in public elsewhere, you also don't necessarily even acknowledge that you know them. Or if you did, you just sort of acknowledge that you know them, but you, you're very careful about um, how you speak to them and, or what names you refer to them. So obviously um, there's a website called fetlife.com. If people don't know about it, it's like fetish life, fetlife.com. It's kind of, we call it a kinky Facebook. And often the events are advertised up there and you can RSVP and see who's going and stuff like that. And you can friend people and you can put up photos and you can do the whole thing, writings. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a handle, right? So you have a handle on fetlife and uh, like a, Nickname, anonymous. Yeah, an yeah. avatar name. You know, yeah. like, um, yeah, it's a, it can be a it's an anonymous name. It's your it choice, doesn't yeah. have to be. Yeah, it's yeah. your choice, yeah. right? Yeah. But so often people will end up introducing themselves with their FetLife name. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I realize I realize I have friends who I actually don't know. I, I've had, I've known them for years, and I I you very very literally quite literally don't know their real name, and wow. nor do I really need to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Some people share uh, their real names and all of their um, all of their private information and their families and their children. And some people don't at all. And that there's nothing that that's not an that's not a not acceptable thing. Like, mm. you know, some people in another community would read that as being um, secretive or something. But in our community, it's understood that you're really protecting your family. That's you know, if you're right. keeping them a secret or or if you're not sharing that kind of information, it's not so much about you or the other person you're engaging mm. with, but you're really keeping your family protected. So there are those kinds of um, courtesies and understandings in the community that, you know, you just don't talk about it. It's kind of like what stays, what, what happens here stays here is really uh, a much, a very much a practice in the community. Wow. So one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with the kink community, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on our podcast is because I see how a lot of self-growth comes from involvement with kink. And I was, do you, do you agree with that? I personally, i um, absolutely agree yeah. with that. Do you think you could, uh, can you shed more light on that and the ways in which it... Let me be fair first and say that there are some people who don't give a shit about growing in kink. And <laughs> right. and, their, and their, uh, their reason for participating is just as legitimate as anybody else's. Yeah. Some people just want to have access to other people for sex and there's nothing wrong with that either. Those are all completely valid and legitimate reasons to be in the kink community. For me, everything is about personal growth, right? right? So that's why we like you. I know. And, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would, I didn't necessarily get into the kink community knowing that that was going to be my journey, but that has certainly turned out to be the journey. And I think the difference is that that in kink, you are you are encouraged to ask more whys. Why do you do yes. things? Why do you like things? Awesome. What is it that you like about it? And you're certainly more uh, frank and honest and um, uh, and you learn to ask for what you want. You learn to ask for dirty, naughty, intimate and vulnerable things. And there is a strength and a power that comes from learning that language and being comfortable in that space 
and asking for those things and or or offering them to someone else and then engaging in those intimate activities with other people. So you end up opening yourself emotionally and vulnerably to other people and being seen in that vulnerable space. And then you come out the other side and go, wow, like it's hard to it's hard to want to interact with what we call, you know, vanilla people after that. <laughs> it's really hard. I'm, I'm like, I'm yeah. serious. It's yeah, hard yeah. to want to to step out of that space. Right, right. Because it's it's more real. It's more. I mean, I I can't imagine. It's more once, authentic. It's more authentic and yeah. genuine. And I should say too um, that we we often say in the kink community, uh, kink is therapeutic, but it's not therapy, and that's certainly truth as well. I've I've been I've participated with people who have used uh, kinky play for their therapeutic reasons. Certainly not therapy, and shouldn't be ever treated that way. But I've also, and I've also seen people who use regular play because there's a lot of brain chemistry and chemicals and neurotransmitters mm. that we're playing with. And if you, hopefully you know what you're playing with when mm. you're playing, but I, and I've seen people stave off depression and stuff by, mm. by doing regular play and, you know, they're, they're using their brain chemistry in ways that benefit them. Do people, um, this is kind of a tangent question, but do people do drugs or are they sober while participating in kink? I have been in uh, both types of groups um, privately. That's where you, if you're going to see any drugs, mm. uh, you're, you're going to see it privately at the public spaces mm. that it's, re- it's rare to nothing. Okay. And in fact, um, in certain communities, not uh, they're all different, but in certain communities, like if you drink at a party, you're really shunned. And if you do pot at a, at a party, you're really shunned. So it's all, mm. it's all very different and varied according to the communities themselves. Mm. Um, but I can tell you that at uh, there, there's a there's a local San Diego um, nonprofit kink club called Club X. They sponsor something like 16 or 17 events a month. It's crazy and amazing wow. mm-hmm. uh, for a very nominal membership fee. Every day, I think it's like thirty five dollars a year or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And then they and they have play parties every month. And so those okay. are those are publicly held events. What kind of the venue would this play party take place at? Uh, they have two venues. Um, I'm, I'm I. I hesitate to divulge uh, either of the actual names of the locations, right. but they're both, you know, easily accessible. One smaller, I just and meant one's like better. a house or like a club kind of place. Um, one is a rentable space. Well, they're both just rentable spaces. One's larger than another. One of them's used like for weddings and stuff so like okay. that, like a really large event, like a space. convention center. Almost. Not quite that big. Okay, um, but I can tell you that uh, uh, the larger of the play parties, like I think they do them about every other month. They kind of skip back and forth. One's a members only party, and the other um, invites members plus members guests. And the larger party, you know, often has 130 wow. people at it. Um, where the smaller members only party, I think tops out at like 60 or 70 yeah. just wow. for space reasons. But, mm. uh, at those public events, yeah, you're not going to see any, any, any drugs, any drinking. Um, uh, there are some other rules in place like condom use and stuff that are just sort of like, you know, there are, there are rules of the state of California that they have to follow. In fact, um, one, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. the state of California has laws pertaining to kink events. It's not that specific, but and I can't, I can't remember 
what I'm trying with the specifics that I'm trying to talk about, but there's something about uh, the necessity for having condoms at the public events. And I don't, I don't remember what the, um, what the gotcha. basis for that is now, but I just remember that being a rule, mm-hmm. but like things like uh, there's no breath play in California. Like if you're seen doing like choking or any kind of breath play, it's just not allowed. It's an, it's illegal in the state of California. Mm-hmm. So, so club X doesn't allow breath play you know, at these parties, if you want to do any sort of edge play, like fire play, you have to have certain, uh, certain, um, permissions. If you Mm -hmm. want to do knife play, you will definitely have to show whatever, um, knife you plan to use to, you know, the dungeon, uh, monitors and the people running the facility before the party ever takes place. So there, there are lots of, um, lots of filters, Mm. to safe play at these parties, but there's certainly sex and stuff too. So I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to be, I want to be open about, you know, the range of activity that takes place there. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Sometimes blood play. I've seen some crazy, some yeah. crazy stuff, barbed wire scenes. And I suppose, I, I think the reason why I asked that question probably had to do with consent and maybe that's a, a nice general subject to discuss too. Um, so, I mean, obviously if you're under the influence of drugs, it's, questionable whether you actually consented or not uh you know based on your level of intoxication but i see where you're coming from on the consent but uh in the in the king community it's not i wouldn't call it hyper consent like like the tantra community is kind of hyper consent but what uh what the king community is though is that all most of the negotiation takes place weeks before your play i mean it kind of uh, depends on how long you've been in the community like okay. how how efficient your negotiation becomes or not but everything we teach you as a newbie coming into the community is how to negotiate and some people and this is no exaggeration some people have six and seven page negotiation sheets where they uh, they share with you what all their proclivities are and they have a lot of questions that they ask you on how they're gonna, how you're going to fit together okay. and like you you should never feel forced to do stuff you don't want to do yeah but I also encourage people to, to, to actually get up right against their boundary and that's where they start to really learn about themselves. Right. And then the growth starts to happen, but a uh, highly negotiated play. Mm-hmm. And then you have the play and then there's actually, you know, what we, we, we teach um, checking in and aftercare, even after the, both after, as this, just as the scene ends, like in the, in the 45 minutes or an hour after the scene takes place and in the days, like up to 72 hours following the scene itself, we encourage aftercare. Mm-hmm. And so are there, then are the scenes scripted like scene like uh, you would have in a movie or um, how so does that work? Can you explain to us? Sort of the way that you're asking me the question implies there might be some role play in the scene that you're talking about, which can happen. There can be kind of role play when you talk about scripts. But if I, you know, if I were to negotiate a scene with you and you were interested in, say, bottoming for me, mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe you want to do some sensation play. Maybe that sensation play just starts to teeter on the other side of pain play because you're curious. You have no idea whether you know whether you might be a masochist or not. And so we would say, okay, well, what do you think about um, the use of canes? What do you think about just the use of my hands? Uh, what do you think about me putting using claws on my fingers or what are called vampire gloves, which are these little leather gloves that have these like little tacks that stick out of the, the fingers of the gloves. And so I might go through the list of toys that I have as possibilities of a range of sensation that you mm. might or might not um, you know, be interested in. And, or I might have you uh, walk up. To, if you were to walk into my bedroom upstairs right now and look into the corner, there's a, there's a rack of say 15 or 18 toys. And I might say, why don't you go pick out four toys that you think might be fun to play with? And then I, then we would sit down and negotiate, you know, what that scene might look like and what, uh, whether you'd be restrained or not, 
whether if your math's going to be covered, then how are you going to make sure to tell me that you need a break or that you need to stop or something's mm-hmm. wrong? You know, so how, how, how if so, how would someone do that if their mouth was covered? Uh, you can put something in their hand that they could drop if okay. there was a problem. Uh, there could be a foot stomp, a foot stomp. I, I was, I, uh, assisted on a waterboarding scene this summer where, um, and she specifically wanted her arms restrained as well. So waterboarding is when you have like a towel or a mask on and then they pour water over you and it's like drowning. It's like a torture, a, a torture element. And so our only means of checking in on her was a particular type of foot stomp that we practiced before the scene started, Mm. (laughs) you know, so that we knew what that looked like over her just struggling because there was certainly a lot of struggling in that scene as well. So, so we would negotiate if we wanted to use a safe word or not, you know, I'm sure people have heard of that, um, how to stay safe. Um, generally I would say it depends on the scene and how new the person is that I'd be playing with, but you know, scenes can be anywhere from say 20 to 45 minutes is sort of that sort of the, the range that I, I tend to sink into with people that I'm playing with. Um, trying to think if I fully answered your question. So negotiations. And then we, even, even in the negotiation, we'll actually say like, are you, do you know what kind of aftercare that you might need? Some people want to be left alone with a teddy bear and a blanket after they play. Mm -hmm. Some people want um, water and chocolate and they want to be snuggled and they want you to pet their head and call them good girl. So none of those things are anything to be ashamed about. That doesn't mean that I don't have a choice. Like if I'm not really comfortable cuddling someone and calling them good girl, then I'm allowed to negotiate out of that sort of thing. Or if they have a partner that they're also with, Mm -hmm. I can arrange to with their everyone's consent that I would then, you know, hand them off to their partner for their aftercare. But all of that stuff is negotiated or Mm -hmm. it should be. If it's not, then I don't know, they're maybe they're not going to the right classes, you know, as they come into the community or they're just not being well informed. But if you are playing as a safe player, uh, that is, you know, that's what I've been taught. That's what I teach people. And that's what I see in the, in this community anyway. Mm. So waterboarding. (laughs) Yes. That's one of those things that many years ago I would have heard and thought to myself, I don't understand why someone would want to do that. Can you explain? I can, I can explain my friend's experience. Okay. So, which I thought was amazing for her to ask this again. Um, also I was equally impressed and admiring of her uh, bravery in, in participating in this scene and certainly humble in her asking for me to assist. But she was among people. She was among other tops who she had played with before and who she, tr- she trusted explicitly. And she had had a childhood experience of going to a class and learning how to swim. And they, there were two lifeguard teachers who one particular day decided to not just toss her into the pool. She was struggling a little learning to swim and was quite scared of it, but they tossed her in the pool and they each held an arm and then, and then pulled her under and was, was asking her to sort of swim forward uh, through the pool while they held her arms and held her under the water. Holy shit. Yeah. And it was quite a frightening experience to her. So for her in asking for this scene, it was her regaining her power. That is so fucking cool. Through that childhood moment. I uh, see. Th- th- these are the things I want people to know is, is, is yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And she came out of that and she, boy, she was, it was, it was an amazing and scary 
and exciting scene to watch. Um, and she came out of it, you know, quite high, like just, and you know, no chemical high, just, I mean, chemical high mm, from the brain chemicals, yeah. but she came out high and, and, you know, in, in some ways, you know, she faced her own death and came out alive and felt alive from and, it. And that's like, did, that had like really nothing to do with sex. Like, no, you're that, right. You're right. Yeah. So yeah, not um, a lot of sex, a lot of kink is sex for me. It's certainly erotic, but it is absolutely not. Not everything is. And if for some people, there's no sex at all in their kink. I can give you another story um, that would not have, I don't, would not, I don't think it would have much to do with sex either, but I, I, I had a friend who was a professional dominant. At the time, she was a former professional dominant. And she told me about a gentleman who would come to her for um, play, to pay for the play, right? And he always wanted her to kick him in the balls really really hard and like she would have to like go across the room you know gear up and like run at him run at him and like totally like slam kick he paid for that he paid for that she didn't pay him to kick him in the balls no no she did (laughs) not pay him he paid for it to get yeah so so she was telling me the story about who who are we to judge gearing up and running across the room and kicking him like as hard as she could in the balls and i was i was like you i was like i make help me understand And she said, she said, so this is what I found out. This is, this is, this is fucking great. So, so he was walking home one night and he was uh, mugged. He was jumped by two guys and a girl and he, he got pulled into an alley or was walking through an alley or something. He got jumped by these people and the two guys ended up holding uh, one, one on each arm and they were telling the girl, kick him in the balls, kick him in the balls. And so, um, he was stuck and the girl and, you know, and the girl was like, you know, kind of excitable, but she ended up like sort of gearing up and she ended up slam kicking him in the balls. And, you know, where all of us would think, oh my God, you know, he would wilt to the ground. Something else happened. He, (laughs) he, he didn't just get turned on. It wasn't quite it, but the, I don't know what the kick did to him, but instead of him crumpling and having it hurt, he, he got this surge of energy. And he felt empowered by it. And he ended up kicking the two guys' asses and wow. told the girl, and he ended up telling the girl, you better run. And she ended up taking off. Wow. And, and he, you know, that's how he sort of came through this encounter Holy with these three people. Shit. So he was trying to recreate this moment of power. Holy shit. You know, that through, is so crazy. Through a moment of fear and adrenaline, you know, like again, a really amazing story. This is, I, I don't participate in kink. But this is why I love listening to podcasts about it, reading stories about it, talking to people about it because of stories like this. Like that is absolutely fucking fascinating to me. I, I agree. It's really fascinating. And and even um as we go to talk about, you know, let's let's talk about pain and pain play, right? So I'm a masochist. So and what that means is that certain types of pain uh are translated by my brain and body as pleasure. So that's not something that like I chose, you know, that's yeah, just something just that wired. my brain and body does. Yeah. And, um, and through, through, for whatever reason, like, does, does that have anything to do with my childhood abuse or incest? I have no idea, mm. but that that's the truth of it. And that doesn't mean to say that if I, if I trip on the sidewalk and stub my toe that I feel sexually aroused, it's, a, it's not, that is not the same. Thing. That would be super convenient, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd be fucked up all the time <laughs> with band-aids everywhere. <laughs> But, um, but that is the way that, that, but my body and my skin do translate that sensation. So it's just a sensation to me that happens to to be pain for some, but pleasure for me. Is that kind of like, I heard once that people who eat 
uh, feces, it's because it actually is like an aphrodisiac to them. Like they actually, it actually smells really good and tastes really good. I can't speak to this, to scat play um, specifically because I haven't played in it or nor have I done any research on it. But I know that there are other um, oral fixations for people who end up eating rocks and eating dirt and either other things that they actually are deficient in some sort of mineral or something in their bodies. I don't, I don't know about the scat play. I just don't know about enough about it. I know people, I know people who love the pee play though, for sure too. What about uh, bestiality? Have you seen bestiality in... Not at all. No, That's no. That's not legal, I don't think. I don't, I don't know. Pretty sure. I not. would still tell you if I'd seen it and I haven't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I know someone who was, who they dug they dug a hole in the ground. They buried her in the ground. They cut all of her hair off with a knife and then they made her a public urinal and she loved it. Like she writes about it. It was an amazing experience what, for what her. Was, what was her reason for wanting to do that? Um, she is, she is highly receptive to degradation play. And this is different than like Mm. sort of humiliation, humiliation and degradation are different. Humiliation is I've done a bad thing or look how sex, look how aroused you're getting when you shouldn't be. It's sort of this, that's humiliation. Your, your body's doing this thing or you're doing this thing where degradation says, uh, sorry, so let me, let me frame it this way. Uh, humiliation says, what you're doing is bad. Degradation says you are bad, Mm. right? You're a bad person or you're beneath me or you're less than. And, you know, again, like in the same way that I described uh, that my skin and my brain, you know, interpret pain as pleasure for this person, they interpret degradation and then their brain translates it to uh, eroticism and arousal. And it's not, you know, I, I, I expect that's very challenging for her to process, but she's someone I admire greatly. And, um, because she doesn't feel guilty about it because she does understand herself so well, and she knows how to get herself fed in, in these really unique ways. This kind of reminds me of synesthesia. Right. So for those who don't know, synesthesia is where, um, you have an, Oh, I'm not going to explain this with the right scientific words, but my understanding is like you have an overlapping of uh, sense sensations going on. For example, um, if you see some people, if they see the number five, they automatically see purple with it. Like there's a purple aura around it. Right. My understanding is there's a sort of a mix up of sensations yeah. of the senses. Or Sounds they insane. might smell or they might hear a certain word and automatically smell a certain scent. Um, I'm trying I am trying to yeah, think all of, all these are examples, yeah. I can see the parallel you're making between um, you know, a sensation of one sort and then it being translated by the brain into something unexpected. Right. Right. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. It could be physical or physiological, but it also could be psychological. I mean, I, right. who, who knows? I, I'm not sure. I, uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to also just reiterate and emphasize how vulnerable these spaces are for people to yeah. go to. For my friend... Well, fuck, yeah, you're, she was buried alive. She was buried alive. That is and very vulnerable. Can you imagine the amount of trust that she has to have in the right. people that's that, an, are, that's that are an, taking care of her? That's another thing that I see as a positive within the... That was one of the things that I finally realized that when you're putting that amount of trust into someone... That is so intimate. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. And l- let's not only talk about the bottom. The top 
the, the amount of vulnerability for a top to take someone there right. and say the things to her that she needs mm-hmm. to hear right. and to do the things to her that she needs done for, to her in order for her to get, you know, to be satisfied. That is very challenging. And in fact, yeah. after that scene is over, not only does she need aftercare, but he does too. The yeah. two of them need to spend that time together Absolutely. to come back into balance for him to realize that she's okay and that she doesn't hate him. And that, yeah. you know, my husband found that to be really true. Like he was, you know, doing what he considered to be these terrible things because he was still processing his own sadist. And he realized how much he needed to make sure to come back into balance with that bottom after that scene to make sure that Absolutely. he was still in a good guy, you know? Absolutely. Is there, um, yeah, I was going to ask you that exact question. So you, you, Go into a scene, you deliver, you know, whatever you're doing. How do you not carry that energy into the rest of your day? Because it's just so, it's, I mean, it's such like sometimes intense. You, sometimes you can't. You can't. No, in fact, um, we, we have something in the community called drop that can happen when I talk about the, uh, the aftercare and check-ins that happen after a scene. And now why I say 72 hours, because brain chemistry wise, you know, 24 to 72 hours, if if you're going to see the drop, you're going to see it within that frame, that time frame after your scene. What does drop mean exactly? So it's like the opposite happening in your brain chemistry. So you're, you're, you're causing pain, pain causes all these neurotransmitters to get stirred up. You have a bunch of endorphin drops Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, I mean, oh, I don't do a lot of drugs, but my understanding is like Coming when you down. take, ecstasy, when you take ecstasy, yeah, and then you take <laughs> yep. something for it, like five, I forget the name of it, five HTP or yeah, something, right? HTP. The serotonin. So it's like that. So you're, you're getting a spike mm-hmm. in the brain neurotransmitters and it, and it, you can, you can see the, the fall off and the drop pretty dramatically afterward. And you can, what we call it, we call it drop and it hits everybody a little bit differently. I've had both bottom drop and top drop. So based on how I was, um, Mm. you know, how I was interacting in the scene and they both feel a little bit different to me, but they both, you know, work like a hormonal issue and you're irritable and you're maybe you're a little overly emotional um, or you have a lot of um, sudden physical fatigue. Mm. So uh, so with some again, it's something that we, you know, we uh, school the newbies on when they come in to watch for that kind of thing. It's very interesting. Um, Okay, Uh, I feel like I'm asking a lot of questions. Is that cool? Totally. Okay, cool. All good with me. I How, totally hogged last night's it episode. Way, so. You know what would make it way better is if you had no clothes on while you were asking <laughs> I, I, know, I think I'm too cold to do that. Sorry, sure. I say that to everybody. Okay. Damn, I always get Well, I mean, the thing is, is like, I actually don't again? know if you're joking or not. Like, I'm, like, <laughs> I, no, I'm pretty sure she's not joking. Like, I, like, I, like most people would wow. be like, oh, that was a joke. I'm wow. like, I actually have no idea <laughs> if that was honest okay. or not. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, hyper consent. Hyper consent. <laughs> It'd be, have to be a fuck yes. Yeah, I'm too cold to be so, yes. a fuck yes to that. <laughs> Okay, so how does say that someone has no idea about the King community but is interested? Someone is listening to this podcast saying, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm never going to tell anyone, but I'd like to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of learning curve are we talking about? Is this something that you can just get into and participate immediately? Or do you have to go through like a whole, um, you know, cultural indoctrination well, there's definitely cultural like, indoctrination. Well, I mean, there's there's language and there's culture. It's there obvious that I know it know, does kind of things. sound like a full time job. The classes, the checking in, the three week negotiations. Like it's sounds um, like a lot of work. 
That's an interesting perspective. Um, certainly, I would not be using um, guides like Fifty Shades of Grey right. as a, as a template for what the kink uh, that play. So shit. Well, yeah, I've and, and never seen I, it. I'll be honest, I haven't seen it either, or nor have I it's ever read terrible. it. But I from what I understand, because obviously <laughs> there are plenty of people in my yeah. community who have watched it and read it, but that you know that that's a that's an example of a, of a clearly abusive relationship, and that is nothing like what we promote. Like you will see things that look like abuse at parties, and you it, it and you will be you will swear that you should save that person, but the truth is it's negotiated. Uh, you know, like when I, I've done leash play where I was the, on the, I was the bottom, actually in this case, I was actually a submissive and, um, and my dominant was leading me around on a leash and collar and putting me in cages and having men come and like gawk at me while I was in the cages. And, um, I can tell you that I loved every fucking minute of that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was looking for the, the sexual objectification. It was very specific. Real and, quick. Have mm-hmm. you seen the French movie? O from the seventies. You know, if I did, it was quite a long time ago. It sounds okay. familiar. Well, I'm but I wondering. It. Okay. Well, we'll move on then. But I was just going to wonder if that was a good portrayal or not. Yeah, I couldn't say. I can tell you as far as getting into our local community here in San Diego, um, I would, the first thing I would do is to go find Club X San Diego. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a Facebook page there, have their own website. And then of course, if you are at all on fetlife.com, you can certainly find them there. And that's where all of the, the, the bulk of the, um, the events are marketed and socialized. And FetLife's all over the world, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, Millions, millions of people. And it is um, absolutely international. Uh, we have, and I say we could like, cause my husband was on the board of directors for a while and I certainly am a huge advocate of club X, but they do, um, they have a new members orientation. They have basics classes. Um, if, uh, at some point I should go over BDSM and what that stands for, for those okay. of people that don't know. So get back, remind me about that, but they have, um, they'll have, they have spanking classes and flogging classes. They have, uh, they have, there's a group in the San Diego community called submissive voice. If you're interested in power exchange and being a submissive, they have, um, what's called a masters and slaves together, San Diego, mast San Diego. And they have workshops where you get to talk about, um, masters and slaves and dominance and submission. Uh, there's the club X play party. There's a women's rap. So every, anything, uh, any, any female identifying people can come to any one of those meetings. And usually there's some sort of hard skill taught and then also a soft skill spoken about. And there's also uh, fetish men, San Diego for, um, men or gay men or gay men leather. You know, we have, uh, really quite a big spectrum of, of classes and workshops and, um, exposure to offer <laughs> for lack of a better word, rope. Rope is huge in the San Diego community. And it also is a really great gateway to kink because all of the rope is done in public places. When you go to meet with someone, you don't have to know them very well. You don't have to meet privately in someone's house and then you're getting restrained and you have no idea what might happen to you after that. So rope is a great way to get in and learn a little bit more, you know, in a sort of a safer environment and also get to know people, watch them play with other people and then decide, okay, maybe I'll engage him in some rope and you'd get to do it in a public forum and then go home that night you know, single. And, you know, that's a great Mm. rope is a great way to get started in kink. Also for those who aren't in San Diego, other than FetLife, um, I'm a member of an organization called Sex Positive and they have chapters all over the country. And there is, there, uh, is a lot of kink events that go on through that or classes or people who can at least, uh, 
point you in the right direction. So I just want to give that resource to people as well. Yeah, that's great to know. I remember when Sex Positive San Diego first came out and the irony of that is that I couldn't join it at the time because you only could join up through Meetup and you could only join up. And mm. I, my only account on Meetup was my actual name and everything. And I wasn't at that time able yeah. to be that open. So now, of course, um, I should probably catch up and <laughs> check that out. Yeah, I, I really like them. Lots of cool people. Um, you wanted me to remind you about BDSM. BDSM, right, yeah. yeah. So um, for people really, really new and who really don't know what kink is all about, um, obviously you hear the word BDSM or the acronym BDSM all the time. So BDSM is a, 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 a mashup of three other acronyms. So BD, which is bondage and discipline, DS, which is dominance and submission, and SM, which is sadism and masochism, masochism or sad, sadomasochism. Mm. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, so it's actually BDDSSM? No, they're just overlaps. So okay. BD, the DS, and the SM, but BDSM is, you know, okay. is the acronym okay. itself. So, um, you talked about other resources too, and I want to, I did have, um, some books that I was going to recommend, uh, for the, for the SM and the BD part, the bondage and discipline and the dominance, oh no, sorry, for the bondage and discipline and the sadism and massacre, there's a, there are books like SM 101. It's quite an older book, but it's, it has such solid information in it. Like mm. when you get toward the end of the book, it starts talking about how to advertise in the newspaper and stuff. This was like before <laughs> the age of the internet. So it's that it's old, so but the actual yeah. like hard skill stuff about like how to play and how to do flogging and how to be a mm. bottom for a flogging scene, like all of that information is quite relevant and really just solid information. There's also the topping book and the bottoming book, which are also really solid. Mm. There is one um, a little more about um, power exchange and that mental aspect of play that's called um, the control book. And then if you want a dominant and submissive reference, because there's honestly, there's not a lot that are great. And I actually don't find a lot of kink books to be all that great either. Um, so I have, I'm, I'm really limited in what I do recommend, but one that um, describes dominance and submission, but takes out the pain play. It takes out the, the sadism and masochism in the play. And it's just about the power exchange relationship. And that's called leading and supportive love, the truth about dominant and submissive relationships. And I find it, that book to be the best one for referring uh, for, for DS stuff. Okay. So those are really some really great references. Um, but you were going to like explain BDSM or, or is that just everything you want to say? Um, I wanted to give you the, what the acronyms mean. Oh, okay. I mean, if, if you need me to try to explain like no, bondage I, and discipline, I can that's try. That's probably like a five hour discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, actually, a question that I want to ask you is how has kink evolved your relationship with your husband? It's, it's gone two different ways, actually. So when we first, when I was the first one to move forward into the community because I was playing with that first dominant. Were you in an... Because you and your husband have an open relationship. Correct. Were, were you open before you explored kink? Or? Yeah, we had opened up our marriage about, I want to say eight, like eight years before okay. I ever got, we ever got into the kink community. So this gentleman that I got involved with that had the, what did the flogging was also well known as a rope guy too. And um, uh, not long after we began to play, uh, he ended up having to move. Uh, out of state. So I had like sort of just been opened up into all of this, 
all of this new world and all of this new discovery and exploration personally, and then found myself sort of like in the desert because in fact, he was the kind of the hub of Mm. that little private group that we all got together with. And so when he left, the whole group sort of dispersed. And that's when I began to look for, you know, something else to engage in. And so then that's when I came down South to San Diego and I got involved in rope because again, if I'm going by myself, you know, what's the safest way for me to engage. And I found that the public rope events were the way to do that. And, uh, so at some, I think it was only a few months in and my husband finally said, okay, you know, you're doing this thing. I probably should come check it out, you know, just to see, make sure you're safe, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And I remember taking him to a club X, uh, Shibario 101 class. So beginner rope class Mm -hmm. that happens once a month. And we, it was this short little two hour workshop where he like put some rope around my chest, you know, and my arms and uh, he couldn't sleep that night. I didn't, I didn't even know how to explain it, it was but excited. he was so, well, he had what we would call top high. He was mm-hmm. so top high uh-huh. by the end of that two hours on the drive home, he couldn't stop talking and he literally couldn't sleep that night. Yeah. So it, it, it was <laughs> transformative for him. It mm-hmm. fucked him up that night. <laughs> and so, so we started to go down the road together where we, we played a little more at home. Um, we got, you know, pretty kinky at home and, you know, started to buy our toys and, um, and participate there. What, and were, then, what were some of the first toys you got? Mm, floggers for sure rope um and for me restraint like for me everything is better with restraint like dinner with restraints would be better than dinner (laughs) just everything is better with (laughs) with restraint so so we uh there was but there was a point as we were participating together and of course now we're also starting to we're open relationship we also just play we have just play partners that has nothing to do with sex Mm. too right we're we're playing with them in an erotic space there might even be like forced orgasms and stuff in the play but it doesn't necessarily it it doesn't always translate to to actual like you know piv sex or something like that Mm. so as he was beginning to not just play in the bedroom but he began to discover the darker side of his sadist he he was having more and more trouble bringing that guy into the bedroom with me. Mm. Um, and you know, and he has his own reasons for needing to, to pull back with me for that. So he ended up, he was more comfortable having other partners to do some of his really, you know, deep dive play mm. with. And that was challenging for me. Uh, when we first, when I kept, I kept feeling it as a rejection at, yeah. at that time, but that that's all just part of our growth of our relationship and our open relationship and my personal journey of, you know, rejection and all that, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, but, <laughs> but, uh, so it, it both brought us closer and, and again, so like we could start to really share with each other what, what our desires were. And then in some ways it took us, apart in that we did, we have not, we have not gone down the same paths at the same pace alongside of each other. I needed to go my route and he needed to go his route. Mm -hmm. So, but I think, I feel like that's us evolving from a more codependent relationship to more interdependent relationship. So I see that all as positive, but of course it was, it was a little more painful, you know, during the time that we were growing through it. Mm. And I think you said once that your kids know about our kids know. I also wanted to just really quickly say there are some things that my husband wants to do that I I don't want to do, and there's some yeah. things that I want to do that he doesn't want to do, and so yeah. it's only natural for us to try to find other partners yeah. to do those things with. Yeah, my kids, um, my kids know they. Uh, we we came out to them first with the the, the open relationship and the polyamory, um, uh, because they would have been teenagers around that time. 
Um, my, my younger son was 15. So my older was 19 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, our, the only reason we waited that long to tell my younger son really was because we were concerned, you know, we're very, we're very open people and we were concerned that his lack of filter Uh, would, would end up losing him friends. So he would say something to his friends that his friends might say something to their parents and then he would lose friends uh, because of their judgment of our behavior. And, and, and also it was just, you know, there's a difference between secrecy and privacy. And certainly that was just private to my husband and I, and that wasn't something that was necessarily needed to share with our kids. But then, but then we crossed over into that, like, wow, we're really in love with these other people that we're engaging with. And it actually hurt like when Thanksgiving came around or, no, you know, no. some other, or, or they were, or they were at the house with us and we couldn't touch them and we couldn't introduce them as the people that we loved. And that became more painful to not share mm-hmm. than, than to, you know, be scared and risk sharing. So, so that was when we crossed over into, into um, coming out to them with the open relationship. And then I, th- I think I'm trying to remember, I don't remember exactly the transition when we opted to talk to about talk about kink, I think it was sort of like a more general, a more general topic. I think we started with with shibari and rope. You know, there. I'm sure you. I'm sure even though you're not in the community, you've seen beautiful pictures of people yes. in rope and and in suspended in rope. Mm-hmm. And so I started. I remember I started sharing those pictures just randomly with my son. Like, hey, what do you think of this? Don't you think this is amazing? And he'd be like, Oh my god, look at that! Like those that that knot is so like intricate. And so we started to talk about it like more academically um, as mm-hmm. as art. And that was kind of like what started the conversation. But I've always been of my husband and I. I've always been the one that more easily talks about sex and stuff. So. You know, it didn't take long for me to start sharing a little more and a little more. And it wasn't so much, it's not about sharing myself. I'm like, hey, did you know what I did last weekend? But it's like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, did you know people do this? Did you know that maybe this is the, this is what, this is the psychology of that? You know, mm-hmm. did you know that some people um, experience pain as pleasure, you know, with their senses? And so it, it was, it, maybe it was like the on and off homeschooling that we did with the kids over the years, mm-hmm. but it was really, it, was, it wasn't hard to just sort of in an academic way, start to share bits of information and, and they're, you know, he's curious about everything. And so, you know, that part, it just wasn't that hard. I remember uh, having my spanking bench was sitting in my master bedroom one day and like the door was open or something. And one of his friends, this was, this is like they're graduated from high school by now. And one of his friends walked by, I was out of the house. And so I get a text from my son and it says, uh, so Chris wants to know what that thing in your bedroom is. <laughs> and he totally set me up because William knows exactly yeah, what yeah. that, uh, that thing is, but or it was my spanking bench. So he, he knew exactly what that was. But, um, so I'm like, well, that's a spanking bench. And so he's of course sharing the phone, you know, with his friend to read the message. And then I think he, I think he types me back that, you know, he's like, he's like, Chris is just staring at me now. (laughs) And I forget, I can't remember the end of the conversation, but it was, it was really William was playing it up and I was playing into the drama so that he could, he could make his friend blush and that, you know, so that's our, that's our relationship really now. We, um, you know, like I remember when my son, um, he uh, snuck my <clears throat> he snuck my Hitachi out from under my bed one day when I was gone, and forgot to get it back into my room before I came home that night. And um, I, I <laughs> what was he doing with it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't sure because I would I didn't even notice it was gone. But I retired early that night and I was just reading in bed and I finally get this knock on my door and he like pokes his head and he's like, "Hey, mom, 
And I'm like, yeah, come on in. And he's like, he just starts to rush. Like he's just talking all at once. He's got something in his hand. I can't even like process it. He's coming up to the bed so quickly. He's like, so I took this thing out it from under your bed and I thought I was going to put it back, but then you got back, but I didn't. And here it is. This is your Hitachi. And I totally used it in there. <laughs> and he like, it, like puts it on the bed in front of me. And I'm like, you know, catching up to just what did he just say? Okay. He took my Hitachi. I got home. He didn't get a chance to put it back. In, he's used it. Okay. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, you know, let's, so I'm like, well, did, let's talk about how to use this kind of a thing yeah. safely. You know, did you know you can use it on women? Did you, did you know you can use it on guys? And there's how do you do it? And you can cover it with a condom so you wouldn't have to wash it. It makes things easier. And and um, and he's like, I think he's just not sure if I un- really understood what he had done with it while mm-hmm. I was gone. So he goes, yeah, you know, so I used it. <laughs> so I used it on my dick. <laughs> and he like points down to his dick like a rapper like what <laughs> he's like yeah use it on my dick and I'm like you know I got that I, I, but I'm trying to be cool and like not I don't want to like burst out laughing okay okay was, hold on in that moment where you just like me and my son just shared the same sex toy I mean no. did, okay you no. didn't care okay no because look the truth is I I play with I play with other women. I play with that toy. Like I keep my toys clean. That's part of what, that's just part of what you do. Uh, you know, it's with my consent. Like I wouldn't like my husband going to taking it and using it on somebody else. And then maybe you're turning it not clean or whatever, but no, it's, yeah. I was going to go like a complete different direction with that story. I thought like maybe he would just like, after he explained all his like king stuff, he'd be like, mom, I just used it, you know, for my back. I just, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, by that time, I think he must've already known what it was for. I okay, must've said right. something, but, um, <laughs> by the end of our conversation, I, he did, he had already ordered one. So he'd already ordered wow. one for himself on Amazon yeah. too. So as he was returning it, he was like, and I've already ordered one. Okay. So of course I had to tease him a few days later. I'm like, has it come yet? Did you, come? Did you use it? That's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome. He has, you know what? I have to say one, one funny thing though. Mm-hmm. He has one of those really, those like life size pillows with the, like the anime made, oh, like okay. the anime chick mm-hmm. made on it. Yeah. Yeah. Him and all of his friends have one. Oh, that's cute. I just, I, <laughs> and he lets me tease him like, oh God, he's great. He's so great. And I tease him all the time about, about all my dick. (laughs) All my close kinky friends know. And he knows. I'm like, you know, I have to tell all my kinky friends now. Right. He's like, he like hangs his head. He's like, I know. (laughs) That's a cool relationship. You have with your kids. Like my mom, like my parents never talked me, talked to me about anything sexual. Like I had to find everything on my own. My, my, my mom was pretty open mm. with sex about us, but no one ever fucking taught me how to masturbate. And that's like the one thing that I really Could have wish. been convenient and I, Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's one I, I, I think I'm a proponent of talking to kids about self-pleasure and Do you think parents should do that? Because I can see how awkward it could be for some kids. I can tell you how I handled it. Um mm. And I absolutely think that parents should talk to you about it. I, okay. Mine did not talk about it with me. But what I created was, it was actually for my daughter at the time. Um, 
but I feel like this could, and, and then with William, it was much easier just to, just to have a conversation. He wasn't embarrassed to talk about with me because we had been talking about it the whole time, yeah. but I created a box, what I called the, my, her woman's box. And so as she got older and I needed to introduce things that she might be a little more embarrassed to talk about, I began putting paraphernalia in the box. Mm. So books, um, you know, tampons, books on masturbation, oh, yeah. books on sex. And so I would let her know, I'd be, Hey, you know, there's a couple new things in your box. And so, at, at her leisure, she would go into the box and read them privately on That's her own. That's a really cool and idea. Then, it's and like then a she, buffer. And then like, she would yeah, always know yeah. that, and I'm like, and you, you always know that you're, you can come to me and we can talk about anything in more detail. So it gave her a chance to be private about mm-hmm. what she was learning initially and go ask questions of her friends or whomever. And then if she wanted any more elaboration, then I was always available for that conversation. That's Sharon, really you're strategy. so awesome. I, know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just But it's all about how you present, right? If, uh, like, if I were to present, if I wanted to tell my family that I was polyamorous and I present it with a bunch of guilt and shame then that gives them a space right. to attack me with, exactly. about, with guilt and shame exactly so if you approach sex with your children as not natural and 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 full of joy exactly. then that's how they receive it and that's mm-hmm. how they begin to translate it as well that's that's the way i believe it yeah it I, I still remember um my sister is 18 years younger than me when she was about three or four i was wearing a t-shirt that had two boys on it kissing and she looked at it and she was like, are those two boys kissing? And I was like, yeah. She was like, they can't do that. And I was like, well, here's the thing. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes uh, two boys love each other and we call that gay. Uh, sometimes two girls love each other and we call that lesbian. And then you have people like me who love men and women and we call that bisexual. And she was like, oh, Okay. went on with her day because it was just that fucking normal the way I explained it a funny story um after we came out to our my our youngest son I mean being polyamorous about a month later he's like you know mom and dad I I really need to talk to you and we're like oh shit like all right yeah tell what's up and he's like he hangs his head and he's like you know I I I think I'm monogamous <laughs> and, and like, 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 like he was like, like he was shamed about it, and we're like, we're like, honey, we we're like, that's cool. Like, we don't judge. Like, you can be, you can be monogamous, but and and he has, and he has for the most part. He's been he's been monogamous ever since, and but it, that stimulates great conversation. You know, he, he came and he came to us one day and said, you know, I get that in monogamy. You know, the way that my girlfriend and I. The way that the way that we take our relationship to the next level is to be sexually exclusive, you know. But you guys, you guys are polyamorous. Like, how do you know when your relationships go to the next level? What do you use? You know, if you can't use sexual um, exclusivity, then you know, how do you know that you've taken the next step in your relationships? Good, great uh, conversation. That's a great. What was your answer? Um, we had to really think about it, and it would be different for me than it is for my husband. For me, it was when that it was in that stage that we say I love you, and and not just like I love you like a friend, but like when you can't help it. Like when you can't let them leave and it's just like bubbling out of you and you can't help but say, I love you. Like it's that kind of an, I love you. So that's definitely when I know that I've crossed over in my, in my romantic relationships. Um, okay. So I want, I have a couple more questions left about a uh, kink lifestyle. What are, some myths surrounding the kink community that you would like to dispel? 
Um, an easy one that comes to mind would be that all women are submissive and all men are dominant. Like, uh, you will find some very, um, uh, naive people at some of the new events and some men, men will, uh, it's often men who come in and treat the women, all the women like Uh. they're his property or like they're submissive. Uh, and there are, uh, there is all of the spectrum and plus we have, you know, besides just all gender identifying in terms of the community itself and all sexual orientations, but you know, certainly we have male submissives and we have uh, strong female dominance and often uh, those female dominance on FetLife are often get approached by dominant men saying, well, you just haven't found the right man to dominate oh, you. God. So there's a lot of, um, that is so fucking lame. yeah, I mean, I, what is, what is it? I guess it's misogyny, you know, from mm-hmm. that, from that uh, lens. That would be certainly one of the misconceptions. Um, another is just, I don't know if I call it a misconception, but just a lack, a lack of understanding and a lack of interest in understanding pain play, you know, in the way that I've described it, you know, or like girls who like to get slapped in the face or punched or um, girls who, you know, want to experience gangbangs or bukake. And, you know, there's a lot of judgment around uh, the desire of these sorts of activities and wait, what's bukake again? Bukake is when uh, uh, someone is a bottom and there are multiple tops and they all. Oh right, right, right. It's usually a female bottom and many male tops who so all ejaculate, bang, right? who all ejaculate on her face or whatever. Oh, all at once. the okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's it, it's really just you. You really just need to go in and and throw out any preconceived notions of vernacular uh because even the word submissive is going to mean something different to every person you talk to what does that mean to them what kind of submissive are they might not have might have nothing to do with sex you know what's a pet in the community what's an owner what's a slave what does slave mean you know what does it mean what kind of pain do you want do you like thuddy pain or stingy pain how you know people don't know whether they're a light bottom or a heavy bottom you know compared to other people um and it's 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 the exploration of all of those edges that I think is where the growth happens. And I think the level of openness and intimacy that you have to have in order to have those conversations is what, is what uh, instigates that growth. So to wrap things up, can you tell us a story about one of the most impactful experiences you've had within the kink community? Well, certainly I, uh, I shared with you that first, those first few sessions with that dominant where I realized that I could, I could have orgasms that, um, and that my body was, that I was in more control of my body than I expected. I would say I had a, I participated as a top in a couple of pretty amazing moments for other people who were on their own path and looking for some sort of healing or some sort of exploration. One was, um, a female submissive. She would often play as a submissive to me as well. And she had some pretty severe sexual abuse trauma in her childhood. And similar to like sort of the swim story, you know, she wanted to sort of, she wanted to be restrained and really not be allowed to escape. And she wanted to get beaten pretty hard. And so myself and another top 
you know, it was a lot of heavy negotiation and understanding of the boundaries and where, what was going to cause, what, what was going to cause her to be hurt, which is what she wanted and what was going to cause her to be harmed, which nobody wanted Mm -hmm. and what that boundary might look like. And, um, and we executed that scene at a, at a play party and, um, it was pretty intense and, and she fought back and I had that, I had the moment as a top where it was a real struggle for me to, to take her that far to the edge that she was looking to be taken to. It was hard for me to want to see her injured in mm-hmm. the way that I was having to injure her in order to take her there. Are you, as you're doing this, were you like in your facial expression and tone of voice portraying aggressive? I, I guess what I'm trying to say, are you mm-hmm. just like, simply like hurting her are you like really taking on that image of abuser or or in this case it wasn't necessary for it to be overly it wasn't it didn't have to be abusive at all um as far as her seeing me or not being able to see me we often were often they're often turned away or they could be blindfolded and sometimes the blindfold feels like a mask and they feel invisible and that's actually helpful to them they feel protected and safer as a, as a result uh was there like aggressive words being used? Not at all. Or- um, there, there was very little, and the, there was no humiliation or degradation. The only what I would what I would call it was not aggression, but it was I am in control of you. You are going to do as I say. Like she would start to pick her foot up when the pain started to get back, and I and I would take my boot and I would put it back on her foot, and I would be so. Clear. So it wasn't like put your fucking foot back down. It wasn't. It like could that. be oh, like yeah. if if. If she had continued to resist my commands, I could take it to that. I could take it to that place if I felt that was going to be necessary. But for her, a tug on her collar or a slipping my hand up into her hair and just gripping her hair and turning her face toward me or something like that was enough. It was just amount amount of uh, making clear my power over her more than it was an actual like aggressive or abusive. I mean, I, I suppose you could interpret it that way, but it was. It, I I didn't want. There, there's a certain kind of energy exchange that happens in every scene with every person that you play with. And so, yes, I had to bring, I had to bring a sense of confident energy mm. that let her know that she wasn't going anywhere and that she was going to see this scene to the end. And mm. she'd asked for it, you know, she'd asked for this scene and she was going to see it to the end. Um, so that, you know, she, both good and bad things happened for her after that scene. I don't think we got quite the cathartic result that we both hoped we would get for her, but it definitely took her down part of the road uh, that she needed to go down. In fact, um, she couldn't open her legs like she's she's a lesbian and she couldn't even she couldn't even open her legs with her female lovers. And that it's that kind of uh, level of trauma from her childhood. And when we were playing um I wouldn't let her open her legs like that. I I played the opposite way. So it was really like binding her knees and telling her that she wasn't allowed to open her legs. And so she was not going to get any kind of play like that from me unless she begged for it and wanted it. And so you can kind of use like the reverse psychology and stuff. And then you really are playing in um, risky areas. And you, you know, again, like I feel really humbled that she felt safe Mm. uh, letting me take her there or, and attempting to go to the places that she she was trying to go to. I know for me personally, I've been, uh, I've had cathartic, 
uh, cathartic pain play scenes where I needed to be taken to a place where my body just broke and I started crying and sobbing. And, and I remember one, um, it was actually just at a friend's house. We were like, there were like a half dozen of us at a friend's house. We started sort of playing casually and, uh, this top, um, you know, built, built the pain up into a place where I finally kind of just all broke and I started crying and I couldn't stop crying for like an hour. I, I, Mm. I wasn't particularly, it it wasn't like particular memories or anything were coming up, but it was clear that my body was holding on to some trauma Mm. and it was just letting it go. And I, and I cried for an hour and people, I, there were people like, I didn't even know that well. And they all took turns holding me and just letting me cry it out. And I felt, and I had drop, you know, a couple of days later, cause that was really, really intense. And even though I have no specific, specific memories to tie it to, I felt so light, so much lighter mm. after that scene. That is beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it goes to show you how powerful it is. So it's just a matter of, you know, reliving or t- taking your power back, you know, over some of these things. I mean, I have, I have trauma from my past. I was sexually abused as a kid. So, all this discussion makes me wonder, you know, what the value could be. Yeah. And, you know, whoever has gone through, you know, sexual abuse or any kind of abuse, you know, how, because you can't get that in therapy. You can't like go talk to yeah, a shrink and yeah, get yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. It's so it's, it's beautiful. I think it's actually, yeah. I mean, if, if anyone is listening to this and wondering about it, if that, you know, if that could be something compelling to them, I would definitely recommend it. It's the sexiest mm-hmm. thing to be able to say, you know, I really want you to hit me tonight and then I really want you to hold me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to want both of those things and and mm-hmm. to get them. I don't know, even I just don't know how to explain. So for me, it's about the trust where not only do does my partner care about me this much, but they know me so well and we're so connected that there's this intuitive flow to where we can approach this edge together. And still feel safe doing it. Yeah, I think, again, I, it just goes right back to the very beginning of um, of us chatting tonight, which is being able to feel s- celebrated. You could go to your dark places and feel celebrated there instead of shame. And to to dance in the dark there and and see where that takes you or see what or see what wounds are opened or see what wounds are healed. Mm. You just don't know you don't know what effect it's going to have on you until you start to play and, and, and become a little more adventurous. And, um, it's done. It's uh, honestly, it's changed my life. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm awesome. so desperate to get back to the community itself and the way I participate the way I do mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. it. Nicole, I think that's, I think it's, uh, it sets us up for that final question. I know. I was just thinking that. Okay, <laughs> I was cool. just thinking that. We have a question that we ask everyone. It's ah. the same question every time. Okay. Yeah, we end each episode with this question and I don't tell you about it beforehand because I want you to just go with the first thing that pops into your mind. Um, what is one thing you wish every human being on the planet knew right now? I wish they knew that they were whole and complete exactly as they are right now. Beautiful. Awesome. awesome. I love the answers. I know. (laughs) Everybody has such great, I mean, yeah, this is the first time that we hear that. Beautiful. And it's true. Um, Thank you. Yeah. This really meant so much to me. This was a very deep and rich conversation. And I want to give you the chance to let our audience know about 
the uh, event you do at House of Black, the discussion circle. Yeah, again, um, in in the ways that I am able to give back to the community, one of that one of those ways is is with my experience through um, ethical non-monogamy. And so I recently took over um, what was a dormant uh, discussion group that takes place at our local dungeon called the House of Black. Um, it, it takes place on the fourth Sundays of the month between four and six. And um, you can go on the House of Black uh, website and and fill out the free registration. And then you can find out uh, the address of the location and then also sign up for that discussion group. But obviously anybody who participates in an open marriage, in, um, in swinging, in uh, polyamory, whether it's hierarchical or non-hierarchical or solo poly, all of those topics are welcome. And, um, and it's really uh, like anything that we say that there, there are no poly problems. There are only relationship problems. And mm-hmm. I find that mostly to be true. And even among the relationship problems, it's usually some sort of personal yeah. uh, personal problem that we have to be working on ourselves. So our mm-hmm. approach is very personal. One of the main myths about polyamory that bugs the fucking shit out of me, mostly because I feel like people aren't just taking a fucking second to think about what they're saying. But when people say, um, when a polyamorous relationship ends and people say, oh, mm-hmm. that just goes to show polyamory doesn't work. Yet when a monogamous relationship ends, people don't say, oh, that just goes to show monogamy doesn't work. Yeah. Why do you say that for polyamory, but you don't say that for monogamy? That just like really irks me. No. Yeah, it does me too. Another one we get when you have, when you have a polyamorous breakup is, well, you don't have to feel bad. You have other partners. Like oh. somehow, oh. somehow you're not going to mourn. <laughs> The, yeah. the relationship, but I, right. hey, I'd love to come back sometime if you ever want to talk about the non-monogamy mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed sharing with you guys tonight. Thank you. So you, much. you know what I'm thinking actually is um, for our Dece- so um, uh, December is Michael and I's one year anniversary for sexual empowerment circle, mm. and an idea I have going right now is we do an episode with us three and Michael, since you two have been our, our regulars and yeah. Well, how would you two, how would you two, I think, uh, at, maybe after the December meeting. It feels weird. Like being called, uh, it's like, cause I, I just show up because it's fun. Like, I, uh, <laughs> well, I guess what I mean is you two have showed up yeah. the most consistently. Um, yeah. but would you two be open to doing that? Other is it clothing optional? Michael's house, Michael's house, Michael's rules. As long as the date, uh, as long as the dates work out, of course. Yeah. Awesome. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this we'll is the first that. time I heard about we it. Can, so yeah, we, we can edit that part out. But no, no, that's fine. Omar is sitting up. I think he's excited about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sharon, thank you so much. Yeah, it was Absolutely. great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Good night, everybody. Good night. All right. Cheers.